We know, like us, our listeners spend countless hours every week taking care of loved ones, but most probably don't have an estate plan. Samson McPhee lawyers can help. Estate planning allows you to make the big decisions now, like who will take care of your kids if you pass away and allows you to control how your assets will be distributed and managed. Estate planning is extra important for parents, common law partners, and people with blended families. Call Kelly at Samson McPhee at 902-563-5906 to find out about special pricing for our listeners. Hi, Jess. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Good, good. Nervous today. Oh, you don't have to be nervous. I'm in the hot seat today. It's a special little episode we have here. I tried to get out of it for as long as I could. You did. But you finally wrangled me. I'm telling you, whatever sound this is, my speakers, I mean, my headphones, it's going to drive me insane. Other headphones you can use? No, I'll just stick with these, but I'd love to know what the heck is causing it. There's always something every time we go to hit record. I know. It's so true. Sorry about that. Snowmageddon. 2024. Who had Snowmageddon on their bingo? 2024 holy bingo card. Holy There's always Did something. You, can you believe it? Like, for real though. No. no. There is an astronomical amount of snow down. And there's still more and to come. Like this coming. is 345 on Sunday, February 4th. And I think we're getting like 20 more centimeters or something. I think more. Well, like oh. they were calling for like 50. They they said there could be up to upwards to 150 centimeters of snow in Sydney by Monday afternoon. That is not okay. No. There's no scary out it. there. There's nowhere to go. Yeah, it's scary. Like Daniel, we are so lucky to have a snowblower that is not last on us. But he was trying, like he's gone out like seven times so far since this all started. And he was trying to, like the plow went by this afternoon and he was trying to like snowblow it out of the way and just kind of avalanching back. Yeah. Saying like we do not have a snowblower. We do not have a snowblower. Every year we say we're going to buy a snowblower, and every year we don't. But we say we've been shoveling. Pat like shoveled twice yesterday. It didn't even look like we did anything. And then today we could not get out of our house. Literally, we were trapped. We had to Pat. Well, we <laughs> Pat had to go out the patio door. It took him so long to get to the side of the house, and it usually would take four seconds. And yeah, we just same. Just Pat said. He feels like he's bailing water out of a sinking ship. And then when me and the boys went out and I helped him for a few minutes, I was like, oh yeah, I totally, that is exactly what this feels like because it's just blowing right back on or it's falling so quickly. I think it's like two inches an hour they said it's falling at. So by the time you clean off your step, literally within like 30 minutes, you have to shovel again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's wild. Our Mm -hmm. street isn't plowed yet and it's like, no joke, up over my hip. So like, oh my God. what's going to happen when the plow comes by? There are going to be mountains. Pat's going to cry. And then where, <laughs> do they put it, where do they put it all? Like, where is it all going to go? Our front yard, there's drifts like we've never seen. So I know you can literally, it's almost reaching the front like roof of our house. Bo stands on the hill. He stood on the drift and he could, he can reach. He's like, mom, I can get on the roof. And I was oh, like, please don't. Oh my God. We have so been we've having never seen that. We've way never too seen many that. historical events. So like here's one for 2024. Yeah. Fiona well, the, was 2023. Uh, what was in 2022? Something, I'm sure. Like a joke at, uh, well, it's not even a funny joke anymore, but we say at work, like there's always something every semester. Right. And last semester we were just like waiting <laughs> for it, but it didn't really come. What happened last 
September. We had a lot of rain. We have like a, few a lot, days a lot of rain. Maybe power went out or something for a few days. But yeah, I think there was a power outage for a few days last oh, in the fall. Oh my God. But we were just waiting. Like, what's going to happen? But and we I weren't kept, ready for this. I keep laughing because, like, my parents, would, all of our parents would always be like, oh my God, kids these days, they don't want to go out with nothing. School's canceled for this and for that. <laughs> when we were young, we would, the snow would be up to the pole, the top of the pole, telephone poles, and we would walk. And I'm like, okay, we're living in that, your era now then. Yeah. Because the snow was freaking up to the top of the power poles. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. We'll have to do some predictions for the week. I feel like things will just be closed oh. for days. Oh, they'll have to be to dig out of this. Yeah. And like, we're only seeing like our front, like we're not seeing much. So like I, I picture like Walmart parking lot. Where's all that snow going? I like, where? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. CBU and parking lot, same thing. I'm worried about thing. seniors and I'm worried about oh, people that have an emergency. Oh, it's just... I know. I hope everyone's okay. And, and we uh, worry from uh, in the comfort of our homes. Like people yeah, do have to be right. out working in this. So, all right. Well, we have a special guest today. No stranger to the podcast. We're changing it up a little here around the table on the morning meeting today. And we're going to put Jessica in the hot seat. She's going to be our guest today. You all know and love Jessica already. But as we always do, we'll introduce our guests accordingly. And here's Jessica's. Jessica is the proud mom of Logan, wife to high school sweetheart Daniel, and the owner of Jessica Levangie Sleep Consulting. From newborns to preschoolers, Jessica has proudly supported over 200 families across Canada achieve a better night's sleep. Jessica's approach to improving your child's sleep is simple. She knows that you know your baby best. Jessica takes your knowledge of your child, pairs it with her knowledge of infant and toddler sleep, ties it together with your parenting style, and builds the perfect step-by-step sleep plan for your little one together. Aside from her passion to help families sleep well, Jessica has over 14 years of work experience and education in the field of children and youth and is currently pursuing her Bachelor of Social Work degree with the goal of one day expanding supports for families in her business. Hi, Jess. How does it feel to be sitting on that side of the table? It's nerve wracking. Sorry to everyone we put through this in previous episodes and future ones. Well, you know what you're talking about. So you started Jessica Levanji Sleep Consulting a few years ago now. We'll start from the beginning. So what made you want to start it? When did you start it? Why? Tell us how did Jessica Levanji Sleep Consulting come to be? So we can thank Logan for the uh, birth of Jessica Levanji Sleep Consulting. And it's funny when I think back on it because we weren't as close as we are now then. Like we were becoming really good friends. But like you had Bo a few months before I had Logan. So you were really the only one in my friend group that had a baby. And I feel like you had a really positive experience. I guess I didn't know it was positive at the time. I was just kind of like, okay, her experience is all I know. So I was comparing mine to yours. You know what I mean? So yeah, when I had Logan, I was just like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I did lots of research, but probably on the wrong things. Like, you know, car seats, strollers, bassinets, like swaddles, like all that stuff. But I didn't look into anything else because I was kind of like, well, in terms of birth, it is what it is. He's coming out one way or another, whether it's a C-section or a vaginal birth, like it doesn't really matter to me as long as he's safe. So I didn't really look into any of that because I was like, well, that's the nurses. Like they're going to deal with that. Like can let that go. And with sleep, I truly thought that like he would just sleep when he was tired. I don't know. Like he's a baby. I just thought that that was a thing, right? And so, yeah, like, you know, we had Logan and he ended up being colicky, which again, not something I knew a whole lot about. And in the time, did you know he was colicky? No, I thought that he was broken. I thought that we were broken. We didn't know 
what we were doing. A lot of people call it like witching hour, purple crying, but essentially it is colicky behavior. Not every baby goes through it. And I think that's what's hard because if you are comparing yourself to others, you're kind of like, I don't understand. Like we must be doing something wrong. Like why is our baby crying nonstop hysterically from like 5 p.m. until midnight and there's nothing we can do about it, right? And so went through the whole process of when did Bo start sleeping through the night? And you're like, well, like around this age. And we were like, okay, we just have to make it to that point. But then we got to that point and he wasn't sleeping well. And then I was going back to work when Logan was six months and Daniel's mom, Gina, was going to be watching Logan at the time. And she was really unwell. She had cancer, but she was willing to watch him as much as she could. And I was saying to Daniel, like, we can't expect your mother to like do this. He's only sleeping for like maybe 20 minutes. He has to be held the whole time. Like we can't expect her to do that. And so I started looking into sleep training. I was like, I don't know. Like, I think it's a thing. Saw stuff on Sleep Sense and heard that there's this manual that you can buy and follow these steps and then your baby will sleep. Yeah, we did that with Bo. We did sleep training with Bo just on our own, like not with a consultant. Right. And so that was all fine and dandy, except for that manual really didn't help us a whole lot. Like there were so many unanswered questions. So for a lot of babies, it is very simple. Here's a plan, follow it step by step, and then your baby will sleep. But for a lot of babies, there's a lot of other things to consider, like the wake window's not right, or the nap is too long, or the nap is too short, or the early morning wakings because they're not going to bed early enough, or they're going to bed too late. Like there was so much that we didn't figure out for a long time. And I remember where I said I was kind of like the first out of my friend group to have a baby. Everyone came after was asking me, okay, so so what was your experiences like? How did you do it? And I was after troubleshooting quite a bit. And so I walked them and guided them through sleep training. And I was like, oh my God, like I wish I had have had this, you know, someone to help me navigate through. And I remember one night I was scrolling on Facebook and I saw an ad. It was Dana Obelman, founder and owner of Sleep Sense. And it was like trained to be a sleep consultant. And I said, if I see that again, I'm doing that. Because I said, I kind of am already. Like I'm helping all my friends through this. This is something that I feel like we could have used if we had have known it was a thing. And so like a few months later, the ad popped back up and I applied. So you had to go through like a process. You have to be accepted into the program. And I got accepted in, did the training and was certified and then opened my business that summer. That was in what, 2019? Yes, 2019. Like before Logan was one? Just before he turned one. Do you remember telling me that you were starting a sleep consulting business? Yes, I do remember that. I asked you to come over and you were panicked. Yeah, you very vaguely were like, can you come to my house like right now, basically? I need to talk to you. And I was like, oh my God, is she pregnant and losing her mind? I did not know what was coming out of your mouth next. Like... I just remember being like, what is going on? And you were like, I just need to talk to you. And I was like, oh God, what's happening? And so many things go through your brain, like of all the possibilities. And then I remember we were sitting at your kitchen table. I was like, what's going on? You were like, okay, I'm not pregnant. I was like, okay. So then more that you're like, what is it then? Like what's happening? Anyway, I did not see that coming. It was very exciting. And I was like, wait, what? And I feel like it was one of those things where like, it's vulnerable to put yourself out there and start a business, just like we felt the same way putting out a podcast, right? So it's almost like in a way you just want your friends support, you know, you need that to move forward. So I'm just like slowly telling everybody, hoping that everyone's going to be like, yes, good idea. And not like, oh, I don't know, Jessica, like, but I mean, luckily for me, everyone was so supportive and was so excited and business has been booming. It's been a really great few years supporting lots of families 
advice from literally like prenatally right up until I think the um, oldest I've worked with is five or six. And it kind of gets into like different age groups. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Okay, tell us about that then. So you work with babies, kids of all ages, infants and toddlers. And what is your approach to sleeping well? Like you said, you want to help families sleep well. What is your approach to sleep training? Because we know we've talked about this. I've heard you talk about it in other places as well. But there is a lot of out there on sleep training. And we say all the time, like raising a kid is so hard because you can Google something And you'll find a million reasons that support what you want to do and a million reasons to go against what you want to do. And you're always battling that dichotomy of like, this is the way to do it and this is the way to do it. And there's lots out there on sleep training, if it's good or if it's not good, blah, 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 all this stuff. But I've always loved the way that you approached it. So why don't you tell everyone like, what is sleep training for you? Why do you think it's important? And what does that mean for you, sleep training? First and foremost, I always say to families is don't fix what's not broken, 100%. This isn't a trend that we're following. We read a blog and we feel like, oh my God, like, did you hear? Like, so-and-so is doing this. Does that mean we should? So I always say to families right off the bat, don't fix what's not broken. If what's working in your family, as long as it's safe, of course, then do that. Like just because a blog or a friend or a family member says something, you just do you. And if you're happy and everyone's doing well and there's no reason to fix it, right? For those of us who it's not going well, it's not working, which there's a very large majority of those people. I always say when it comes to sleep training is like, you know your baby best. And that's my approach because like you are the driver of the bus. You have to guide it. You have to go with it. So if you're not comfortable with what you're doing, how is it possibly going to work? So that's why I always say is, you know your baby best and I know sleep best. So we take those two things and put them together and make a sleep plan. We also look at parenting styles. Everybody's parenting style is different. Mine and yours are different. Does that mean that we can't sleep train because we have totally different ways of parenting? No, it just means that our sleep plans might look different. So, and I always say this to families, you have to be comfortable with the sleep plan if it's going to work. So that's why we go through it step by step. And at any point during the sleep plan, you're kind of like, I don't know if that's for us, or I don't know how they'll handle that. We look and we say, okay, what can we do to change it? There's a million ways to go about sleep training. There's a very, very, very fast way, quick way. And that's for one parenting style. And there's other ways that we can go a little bit slower to assure that we're accommodating other parenting styles to make sure everyone's comfortable and that they feel like they're giving the most support for their baby as needed. And when I explain sleep training, it does sound like it's very black and white. Like there's no gray. It's this, this, and this. But in saying that, there are things that we can do to make sure everyone feels comfortable with the process. What's the ultimate goal of sleep training? The ultimate goal is progress, not perfection. So we are not looking for babies to sleep seven to seven every single night for the rest of their lives. That's not a thing. We're looking for progress. So we're looking to make sure that little ones are getting the sleep that they need to thrive, right? And develop and grow. So if your baby is waking up multiple times a night and is needing someone to come in and do all of these things to get them back to sleep, they're up for hours on end, then that means that they're really not getting the quality sleep that they need. It doesn't mean, you know, taking away feeds and doing all these things. It just means that we want to make sure we're giving them the tools to reach their full potential with sleep, whatever that might look like for them. So that could mean 10 and a half hours of sleep per night for one baby. That could mean 12 hours of sleep for another baby. It really depends. There's not one size fits all. It's just what is the baby's full potential and how can we reach that? And when you say that is full potential kind of aligning with like, can the baby put themselves back to sleep or can the baby fall asleep on their own? Like, is that one of the goals of 
sleep training? Right. So when we look at sleep training, everyone in the world, (laughs) little ones, newborns, babies, infants, toddlers, adults, seniors, we all wake up two to five times a night. That's completely normal. You and I might wake up and we kind of just roll over. We might get up to pee. We might flip our pillow. Sometimes we don't even know that we've woken up because we can open our eyes. We know where we are. We go right back to sleep. It's the same with for babies. If they have the skills to put themselves to sleep, they roll over and go back to sleep. They open their eyes. Like if you ever look at the monitor, you can see those glowing yellow eyes and they just close them and go back to sleep. For little ones who are relying on what a popular term is like a prop, if we use that, So that could be they're being rocked to sleep, they're being bottle fed to sleep, they're being breastfed to sleep, whatever it is, when they wake up in the middle of the night, they're like, where am I? I fell asleep on a boob. I fell asleep on a bottle. I fell asleep in mom or dad's arms and now I'm in a crib and I don't know where I am. So they're crawling out and they're getting you to come back in and do the things that you did to put them to sleep the first time, right? So that's just how they've learned to fall asleep. So when we give them the tools to sleep independently, they don't need to rely on an adult to come in and put them back to sleep through the night. They just can do it on their own. So the idea is like, I remember all three, but going through that process. And of course, like those feeds before bed or nighttime feeds, like sometimes they would fall asleep and it's like, you don't want them to fall asleep. You want them to be awake going in the crib. And sometimes retired parents, you're like, are you kidding me? Like they're asleep. I'll do whatever I can to get the sleep. But then, you know, like if they're waking up a few hours later, minutes later and looking for that again, well, I always thought of it as like short-term pain, long-term gain. Like you need to keep them awake at the boob, put them in the crib so that then they sleep and you're not being woken up in a few hours for this whole process to kind of start over again. So that's one of the tools, I guess, is it like knowing that putting them in the crib awake is helpful. Is that true? Definitely. Yeah. And in terms of feeding little ones through the night, you're essentially just giving them the tools to understand when you sleep to sleep and you eat when you're hungry instead of like waking to eat all the time because that's what families think that it is, right? So they'll put their babies on the breast or the bottle all night long because that works, obviously. Like we're all over here trying to get a good night's sleep, like whatever's going to work to get baby back to sleep, right? But then you get like a 16, 17, 18 month old that's still needing that. And we know in terms of nutrition and development that they don't need to eat three, four times a night at that age. Whereas a newborn, we would fully expect a newborn to wake up multiple times a night to feed because that's what they're doing. That's what they're good at, right? They need to do that. They're smart little ones to wake up and feed. But it gets to a point where it's like, that's a behavior, not necessarily a need. I think that's an important point you just made too, that depending on the age of your baby, like different rules would apply or different suggestions apply. Like sometimes they do need to eat to grow. And then sometimes your doctor may say like, you don't need to wake them up every three hours. They're gaining weight fine. There's so many different things coming at you as a new parent in that sense. You're always worried about your baby growing and are you giving them what they need at the right time? And so that of course rolls into sleep as well. So I think that's an important point you just made. And I want to mention this too. There's a lot of postpartum stress around feeding because for a lot of babies, there's the stress of the weight gain. And for weeks or months on end, they have been back to the clinic trying to get their babies weighed up. And so that stress that is honestly, it's like PTSD, like it's a huge stressor. So I've had lots of families come to me and be like, I am so scared to drop a feed. And what I always say is we don't need to drop a feed. What we just want to do is give baby the skills to fall asleep without necessarily right on the breast or the bottle. And they'll naturally drop it if they want to, and they'll still take it if they need to. The difference is like four feeds becomes two, say, and then two becomes one. Like the baby decides 
because the baby has now learned the difference. And so that makes families feel a lot better knowing like we're not dropping any fees here. Like I've even worked with one-year-olds. My family's been like, I just don't know about the feed. And I'm like, okay, let's keep it. I bet you any money that once they learn the skills to sleep, they'll just completely let go of that on their own, right? Today's episode is sponsored by one of our favorite local businesses, Island Folk Cider House. This female-owned local cidery crafts an incredible lineup of both seasonal and flagship ciders, including their best-selling Good Company and Rebel Rosé. I personally am a Rebel Rosé girly, but I mean, I love everything that has to do with rosé. I love the crisp flavor of Good Company, Jess, but if I had to pick a favorite, it would be the Easy Peasy. Whatever your choice, you can trust that all Island Folk Cider is crafted with quality local ingredients, never artificial. So how do good folks like you get your hands on some Island Folk Cider? You can visit their charming tap room in Sydney's North End at 52 Nepean Street. You can check them out at any NSLC location across Nova Scotia, or you can order online at www.islandfolkcider.ca with shipping available across Canada. Thanks again to Jill and our good friends at Island Folk Cider House. Okay, we have some questions from listeners. Should we jump into those? Sure. All right. So a listener asked, best age to transition from crib to big kid bed. My little is three and sleeps amazing in the crib still. This is such a pop... Like I think every friend who has a child, like we have this conversation, right? And I think it's different for everyone. But what do you say, Jess? What's the best age to transition from crib to big kid? Right. So we're going to go right back to what I said in the beginning. We don't fix what's not broken. If everything's going well and there isn't, say, a new baby coming along that needs that crib. So to me, that would be a good time. You know, okay, baby's three. The little one's coming along, needs the crib. Okay, fine. It's a good time to transition. They're old enough to understand at that age developmentally what is what. So like we stay in the bed or feet don't touch the ground. <laughs> like we're staying in the bed. We're not getting out because you no longer have that visual barrier of the crib. To say like, here are the bars, we stay in here, it's a square, you don't come out, right? Another reason to transition earlier than that or at that time would be if they're climbing out of the crib. So it's no longer safe for them to be in a crib. But if there's no reason to take your baby out of the crib, I would leave them because it is a really hard transition going from the crib to the bed. And the older they are, the more they can understand rules and boundaries, the better. Because it's just going to make the transition so much easier on everybody. Is there like an ideal age that a child should be in a bed and no longer in a crib? I would say by four, like little ones are like growing out. And by that time, like three and a half, four, they're independent. They are potty trained. They are getting up through the night to pee. And you want to give them that independence and not feeling like they're restricted to the crib. So I would say, you know, three, three and a half, if they're like a lot of babies, I still call them babies at that age because I feel like they are, but they're toddlers, preschoolers. That would be a good time to start considering, okay, we better start getting them out now because we don't want them to lose that independence about the potty. Any advice? Like what's your top tip or two for that transition when you are moving them into a big kid bed? My biggest piece of advice would be to have a plan with your partner or if you're single, whatever your situation is, have a worst case scenario in your head about how that's going to go and then make a plan for how you're going to respond to that. I would also put very clear expectations in place for your little ones. So we often don't give our little ones enough credit 
they're smart beings. And just like adults, we like to know what's expected of us before we do something, right? So here is your new bed and these are the rules around it. And here is what we're expecting of you. And you want to repeat those over and over. So you're not just going to put the bed together one day and be like, okay, here you go. And here's the rules. You want to work up to that. You want to talk about it a lot, maybe read a book about it. And then by that time, your little one is building up enough understanding around it. And then, like I said, have a plan for what's going to happen when you close the door and say goodnight and they pitter patter out of the room and be like, hey, what are you going to do? Right. And like every kid is so different. My advice I always give, although not professional, but just from my experience is we never, ever said, don't get out of your bed because we like didn't even give that idea that you could like Bo just knew you stayed in bed and we came and got you when you woke up and he never got out of his big kid bed until he was older. Now he does obviously all the time, but, and he transitioned early because we needed the crib when the twins were coming along. So he was in a big boy bed at two and a half, just around two. And we just never said it and he never got out, but it was funny because he would start being like, mom, dad, come get me. We'd be like, buddy, you can actually get out of here by yourself. But we like, don't let him know. He doesn't know. So I always said that, but then like the twins, we never said that to them either. They get out of their bed all the time. What works for one might not work for another. Exactly. And I think sometimes people get overwhelmed or concerned about saying no to their little ones. But when we say no, it doesn't have to be like, no, we're not doing that. And being all angry and whatever. We can say no in a loving way. Like, oh, you came out of your room. It's time to go back in. Remember, it's Betty Buys now. But I want to come out and I want to do this. No, no, we need to go. Like, we have to be able to be comfortable to say no to our children. And I think I work with a lot of three and four-year-olds. And a lot of the issue is around parents saying no and being comfortable to say no, that it's okay for us to say no to our kids. And it's okay for them not to like it because they're not gonna, but it's about putting those firm boundaries in place. Yeah. Which leads us to our next question, which is more of just a statement. Yeah. I have a question about toddlers. WTF. (laughs) I know they come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? Based on age, how much sleep should children or tweens be getting? This person said, I'm always told I'm the mean mom for putting my tween to bed earlier than his friends. Yeah. No, again, do what works for you. And if you're having a happy, thriving teenager, then I would just keep doing what you're doing. But if we look at, let's just say, we'll break it up into sections here. So we'll do school age, preschoolers. So anywhere between three and four, you're looking at around 10 to 13 hours a night. 13 is on the higher end, but you have to remember that they're likely no longer napping in the day. So they might tack on that extra hour at nighttime. You'll also notice that 10 and 13 hours, that's a big difference, right? I would love it if Logan slept 13 hours. Guess what? He doesn't. He's 10 and a half to 11 and that's his normal. Elementary, so ages 5 to 11, around 9 to 12 hours a night. And teenagers, 12 and up, are usually around 8 to 10. So that would be like a fair amount of time for that age. And I think that would base a lot of it on behavior. How is your teenager or older child doing? Like if they're exhausted and dragging their feet and cranky and whatever in the evenings, maybe they need to go to bed a little bit earlier. If they're not able to thrive in school, if they're exhausted, falling asleep on the desk, that's a good indicator that they need more sleep, right? So it's just looking at their behaviors and going from there too. We have a question about the four-month sleep regression, which we know all too well. The four-month regression plus teething, how are we teaching self-soothing? So first, for those of you who don't know what the four-month sleep regression is, I'm going to give you a Coles Notes version really, really quick. Essentially what it is, is a newborn has two stages of sleep, deep sleep and REM sleep. They're in deep sleep 50% of the time and they're in REM sleep 50% of the time. So when they're newborns, this is why we can pass them from human to human. The dogs are barking. People are coming in and out. The lights are flicked on and off. It doesn't bother them because they're in those deep stages of sleep. 
at four months, every single baby developmentally progresses and they go to adult sleep cycles, which are four stages now. So a lot less deep sleep and a lot more light cycles of sleep. So this is why they call it the four-month sleep regression because if you've had a baby that was sleeping well and deeply, they're now transitioning through these light stages more often and waking up more frequently. So you could see your baby waking up every 45 minutes to an hour all night long. And essentially, this is just if they're not able to self-soothe, then this is where a lot of times people will reach out to me to be like, help, like how could this possibly get any worse? And then at that age, they're able to learn those self-soothing skills. In terms of teething, the thing with it, and it does suck, is that we really need to meet our babies where they're at. So if your baby is having a rough go, which four months, I don't know how super common it would be to teeth at four months, but it's important to keep in mind that it's not like a three-week event. Teething is like a three-day process. So the day before the tooth erupts, they're uncomfortable. The day the tooth erupts, they're uncomfortable. And the day after... But this isn't like a pain, like the gums move out of the way for the tooth to come through. That's why there's no blood associated with teething. So it's more of like an aggravating, uncomfortable feeling. Like I always think of it like, you know, when you're on your menstrual cycle and you feel like you could crawl out of your skin, you're just like uncomfortable and like agitated. And that's what I kind of describe teething like. And I heard this from a pediatric dentist too, but I would say meet your baby where they're at And try not to blame everything on teething because I have a funny feeling at four months, if this is like a long haul, then it's likely not teething. It's just likely that they're not sleeping well. But what I would say is give them a few days of extra comfort. And if it's been three days, there's still no tooth there, then I would start thinking, okay, perhaps this is something else and not teething. So what are some tips for teaching that self-soothing? What are some ways that babies can self-soothe? So, I mean, for that age, I always recommend kind of like the stay in the room method. So basically parents are given a plan to kind of like a step-by-step process of how you're going to support your baby through that. But essentially you're kind of just supporting your baby while also giving them the space to learn that skill. There's also another method that we use that is more like hands-on. So a lot of times families will choose that, but that's really not for everybody. But there's not like a one size fits all. Again, it really comes down to what's your parenting style? What are you comfortable with in order to help your baby with those skills? You mentioned sleep props earlier. What's your take on like a stuffy or something for the baby to cuddle or self-soothe with? Would that be considered a prop like in a negative way or is that considered a prop in a positive manner? What is that? So in terms of a stuffy for a baby, it's not recommended or safe for a little one to have anything in their crib other than them and a fitted sheet up until age one. But after age one, if your little one has a stuffy or a lovey or something to snuggle with, that's totally fine. It's kind of like a positive sleep association. If your little one didn't have it, they might be a little bit cranky about it, but it's not going to keep them from sleeping because they have the skills to sleep on their own. I will debunk soothers. What are some other words people use? Binkies. Oh yeah, like sookies. Sookies, whatever. I just want to make sure people understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, dummies. I've heard it all. It's actually okay to use those for up to a year. They can really help prevent SIDS. And so it is recommended that little ones use one if they'll take one because not every baby does. 
I always say to parents, over four months, if it falls out and they don't need it to go back to sleep, then you're golden. Because once they get to an age where they're old enough to pick it up on their own, you could just put little glow-in-the-dark ones in the crib and little ones will just like pick it up and put it in on their own. And then that's all fine and dandy. But if your little one is relying on you to do a passy dance all night long, then it might be a problem. And we would look at removing the pacifier, but it's totally fine. Like if your little one's getting along with it and you don't have to, you know, replace it all night long, then go for it. It's so interesting, Kay. Like even the same parents with the same parenting style, like as they have more kids, they'll have to adapt new things. Like Bo had a sookie when he was like baby, baby, but then stopped using it at four months and never used it again. And then the twins like loved theirs. And like we had a harder time getting like Brooksy's away from his one or whatever. And it's so funny because you're doing all the same things, right? Like each kid can be so different. I think that's important too. Like sometimes if parents are going through this for a second or third time and they're like, what we did before isn't working, like because your kid is different. Right. And for some parents too, I think it's like if they decided that this was their last baby, it's kind of like, oh, like they just want to keep them young because you know how quickly it goes by. So you don't want to take that sookie from them because then it feels like they're growing up and getting so much older. So I think there's a piece of that in it too. Definitely. We were talking about this the other day that like your first kid you're just so anxious and eager for them to like reach all those milestones and develop so quickly that you're like almost growing them up quicker than they are. And it's all you know. So they do seem like, okay, they're growing. And then yeah, for like now we know our second and third are done and they're our babies. So they're so young to us. Like you keep them as babies, I think, because you know, and you're kind of trying to hold them in that baby stage longer because it's the last time you'll have that. It's so interesting. Like if I look back at Bo at three, he was so old in my brain. Like he was so old then. The twins don't seem as old, but they are. They're doing all the same things. They're speaking the same way, but it's, aren't they babies? Like weren't they just born? So yeah, there is that. And I think we all have those items. Like Logan still has his lovey blankie. He uses it every single night. He's five. And I remember I wasn't bothered by giving up the bottle. I wasn't bothered by Logan stopping breastfeeding. Like there was a lot of things I wasn't bothered by. But when he stopped using his sleep sack, oh my God, it killed me. And it just got to a point where like he kept getting stuck in it. It wasn't working for him anymore. And I want it. I just love the sleep sack so much. Like they're just like pittering around in their sleep sack. Like, oh. God, I think he was like pushing three. I'd have to look back in like my Snapchat memories. But I remember one night being like, this is it. Like, it's just not working for the poor little guy. He would have to go in and like take his arm out of the sleep. Like just, oh, but it killed me. Isn't it funny how we all have like those... Like for some people, maybe it's when they're getting rid of the bottle or transitioning from the bottle to the sippy cup. It is funny. Speaking of sleep sacks, and you mentioned safe sleep. So we're not putting anything in the crib with our little ones until they're one. Let's talk about that. So safe sleep means what? There's no blankets, there's no pillows, there's no extra stuffed animals or anything else in that crib. Baby is likely in a sleep sack or a swaddler. Well, swaddler, I guess at first, but let's talk about that. So what does safe sleep mean? And what does that look like at various ages? Right. So when we look at safe sleep, basically, we just want to make sure that baby's on a flat surface for when they're sleeping unsupervised, right? So there's lots of situations where we might put baby in a swing to sleep or they might be sleeping on like a snuggle me. They look like little doggy beds. You know what I'm talking about? The docketot, snuggle me organics or whatever. Those things are totally fine for your babies to sleep in as long as they're being supervised 
during that. They're very like comfy, cozy, squishy. And if they move their head and it's too close to the side, then it could cause suffocation because they can't breathe. And it really sucks to like go into that detail, but and go that dark down that path. But that's essentially what could happen. So when they're sleeping unsupervised, so basically when you are sleeping, they really need to be on a flat surface. So their bassinet or their crib, just a fitted sheet, or they're being swaddled or their sleep sack. There's also situations where little ones might fall asleep in their car seat in the car, and then they come into the house. You want to get your baby out of the car seat because they're no longer at a safe angle. And the most risk is when they're like, under four months because they're just so slumpy and slouchy. So it's best to get them out of that. Another thing that's important to note is when your little ones are in their bassinet, which I know doesn't feel like they're in there very long, once they start to kind of roll, you got to get those arms free because if they're swaddled and they start to roll over, then that means that their little head will get stuck and then they can't get back. So that's another really important one because people are like, oh no, they love the swaddle and now I have to take their arms out. And it is a transition, but it's like anything, a few nights of practice and they should be fine again. And then once they start like rolling, it's time to get them out of the bassinet and into another surface. People are always like, oh no, like, does that mean I have to take them out of my room? No, absolutely. You can keep your baby in your room for as long as you want. They just have to get out of the bassinet into like a pack and play. Or if you have the crib in their room, whatever works, just transition them at that time. And is back best? Yes. What I will say is always put your baby on their back. You can let your baby stay in the sleep position they assume. If you know that they can confidently roll back and forth on their own. So you might put your baby on the back around, you know, four or five months, you'll start to see babies will start rolling. You still put them on their back. If they roll over in the middle of the night and you know they can't get back, you have to go in and put them back. It's a really frustrating time for parents. But what I always say is just practice, practice, practice. So during the daytime, put your baby on their belly and help them learn to roll back and forth. And once you've seen them do that multiple times, it's not an issue. Then when you put them on their back and they go on their belly, you can leave them there. Otherwise, you got to get in there and roll them back over. And if baby, you put them on their back and they assume like a side sleeping position, you can leave them there if you know they can roll. Yeah, confidently, like you are super confident. What are some sleep training tips for toddlers who are breastfed and only want mom? That's a tricky one. And I feel for you, whoever wrote that in. And you're not alone. I will say that. It's always best to get everyone included in the routine. So even if your little one doesn't like it, it's important that they know that each partner loves you equally, right? So if you're finding that your little one is bucking up and is just wanting you, then my recommendation would be to switch up the routine. So even if one partner does the first half of the routine, like maybe they're doing the bath and the books and getting the jammies on, and then the other partner comes in and does the feeding, that's totally fine or vice versa. And then you also want to make sure that each partner is doing bedtime so that one bedtime doesn't fall on one single parent that can get really, really hard and be mentally draining. And I always say this, like, again, I don't mean to go down like these dark, like catastrophic thoughts, but I think of my own self when I had mastitis and had to go to the ER, Daniel had to do that. You know what I mean? Like he had to know what to do. He had to be able to feed the baby. He had to be able to put the baby down. And so when it's on one parent, it's really heavy for that partner. And it's also hard on the other partner who feels like, they're not putting in enough and feels like 
I don't know what the right word is, but it can feel defeating to feel like you're not helping your partner enough, even though your partner knows there's nothing you can do about it if the baby is preferring one parent over the other. But it's really important to be consistent and both be included, even if it's rough for the first little bit. And I will also say that toddlers will go through this. They'll have their favorites. And I know you went through this with your own kids. It's phase, but just be consistent with it so that it's not on one person. Yeah, it can be hard for the ones who go and that they don't go to because you feel useless in that moment. Sticking with the toddlers for a minute, this listener wrote in, the toddler early morning, 5.30 a.m. wake up, help. The grow clock didn't work. Yeah, it's hard. I will say this. Toddlers are a force. They are a force to be reckoned with. And my biggest advice is consistency. If the grow clock didn't work, try again. Be consistent with it. And the other thing that's important to note is that if you're putting boundaries in place at bedtime and expecting your little ones to follow with those boundaries, but you don't have other boundaries throughout the day, it can be really hard for that consistency to make sense for a little one. You can't just put boundaries in place at bedtime. You have to make sure that you're following those through the day as well. So I would look at that. Like if your little one is really struggling with bedtime boundaries, look at the day and say, okay, what can we put in place to ensure that our little one is understanding kind of like what we says, say go. So like maybe you could start with like lots of choices throughout the day to say, okay, I'm going to have some control because I'm the parent, but I also want to foster my toddler's independence because that's important too. And little toddlers love being the boss, but we're the bigger bosses because we're the parents, right? So if you say to your toddler, you know, out of these two breakfast choices, what would you like? Out of these two pairs of shoes, which would you like to choose? Out of these two outfits, what would you like to choose? So they can't, you know, wear a skirt out in the winter. That's not a choice, but they can choose between this pair of pants and this pair of pants. And so what I notice happen is that at nighttime, when, you know, bedtime comes around and little ones usually despise bedtime, you've given them lots of opportunity to have control during the day. And so at nighttime, they don't butt us on it as much. So when we say, you know, no, okay, like you can't come out of your room yet. Your clock isn't yellow or your clock isn't green. It's time to go back in. They understand what we say goes. We're saying to them, you know, it's unfortunately time to go to Betty Buys. We need to put the Lego away. And they get upset and they're whatever. We're hearing them. We're saying, you know, I hear you're upset. You want to play Lego. We can play Lego tomorrow. We need to put it away now. So when you're following through with those boundaries, it makes the other ones easier. Whereas if we just say, okay, 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 you can play with the Lego. You can play with the Lego. Oh my goodness. Like you're so upset here. Here, have it back. When we try to reinforce the grow clock in the morning to say, no, 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 it's not time to come out of our room yet. You know, we have to wait until the sun comes up on the clock or the clock turns green. There's not a whole lot they're working with there because they don't really take what we have to say seriously. And I'm not saying that's the situation here. I don't know what the situation is. These are just some things that I've seen come up where parents will be like, nope, it doesn't work. We've tried it. I would just look broader at the rest of the day to see what's happening. You know, those 5.30 a.m. wake-ups in certain ages, but let's say like in toddlers who are still napping, could that impact those wake-up times? Like, could that be a wake window situation? For sure. So there's tons of situations to look at with early mornings. And likely it's always because little ones are overtired. So they are not going to bed early enough. They're going to bed too late. Sometimes it can be that it's just time for them to drop that daytime nap. Usually if it's two and a half, three years old, that makes sense. But for a lot of times, one-year-olds, one and a half-year-olds are having those early morning wake-ups. And we know that they still do need some daytime sleep because they're not able to make it past five o'clock and they're just a wreck they're exhausted. So usually the first thing I always say is, how long has your little one been up? What time do they wake up in the morning? Did they sleep? 
What was their bedtime like? And nine times out of 10, little ones are going to bed too late. It's hard for a lot of families because if you have multiple kids and they're different ages, it's really tricky. Like if there's evening programs, if you work late, you're trying to get supper on the table, you're trying to do bedtime routines, you're trying to do homework for one child. It can be really, really tricky to put little ones to bed earlier. So a lot of times we're just not doing it because it just doesn't make sense for our schedule. And so I think that's where we fall into these traps of these early mornings because little ones just aren't getting enough sleep. For those listening who may not be as familiar with Wake Windows or if they're new parents out there and this is kind of the first time they're hearing that, do you want to give them a quick rundown of what is a Wake Window and why should we know about those? Sure. So a Wake Window is essentially an amount of time that little ones can tolerate being awake based on their age. So for instance, a newborn can only be really awake for 45 minutes before they're going to need to go back down again for another sleep. And that could be like 45 minutes of feeding and they're just sleeping again, right? Then you get into, you know, eight-month-olds where they might need two hours of 45 minutes to three hours. And then you get into your 18-month-olds and it changes as babies get older and it's based on their age. So we can put little ones down too soon and they're not ready for a nap because they haven't been up long enough based on their age. And we can put little ones to bed too late And they protest that too because they've been up way too long and they're overtired. When we find that optimal wake window for age and development, that's when the real magic happens. Another listener said their 20-month-old still doesn't sleep through the night. Could that be a wake window situation? I would say it could be a little bit of both. But more so, I would say that if a little one was sleeping through the night and then all of a sudden they weren't, I would say that's more of a wake window issue, that something's off. But if they've never slept through the night ever, if this is like an ongoing thing, then it's likely not a wake window issue. It's likely that they just don't have the skills to sleep independently. So almost two-year-old's a great sleeper. Thanks to you, Jess. Still sleeps in a crib with a sleep sack. Loves his crib. Hasn't tried to climb out yet, which I think is thanks to the sleep sack. Like to keep him in the crib for as long as I can before moving to a bed. But... Do you think when we make a switch to the big boy bed, we'll lose our good sleeper? They hear so many horror stories of toddlers unable to keep their sleep. It got cut off, but I think... I get what they're trying to say. So yes and no, basically. But here's why. If you don't have a good solid plan in place, then yes, you could lose your good sleeper. If all of a sudden you start doing all these things. So if you start laying with your child for them to fall asleep in their bed and you do that multiple nights in a row, then your toddler will start relying on that. But if you're consistent and you're giving your child the tools, you're safe, you know, this is your bed, whatever, like giving them those positive reinforcements, a positive language, being consistent, even though there might be pushback, then your little one will just understand the new routine and you'll have your good little sleeper. But it all just depends on how you approach this situation. So this is why I say always have a good plan. I would say you don't just want to do this on a whim and be like, oh, Tonight, let's do it. You want to make a plan for it. Have a conversation with your partner. Or if you're a single parent, make a plan, write it down. Okay, if I want to do this tonight, how am I going to respond if this happens? Like if he or she gets out of the bed, how do I want to respond? So that you're not stuck in this situation where you don't know what to do and then you just panic, right? I remember the night that we put Logan in his toddler bed. It was the first episode of The Husbands. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So Daniel was having a few drinks, but I didn't because I was like, I don't know what this night is going to bring us. So I'm going to stay sober. But yeah, we made it a big thing with Bo. Like when we got the big boy bed in there, he was gone for the day. 
I think with the grandparents. And then when he came home, we were like, we have a surprise for you. And we took the chance to change the room around and like put some of his toys in there and put a car mat down. And like, he was just so excited about the new room that he almost didn't even realize the crib was gone. Like he didn't say where's crib and he just knew he was going to sleep on that bed now. But that was like a fun way to do that. It was kind of like, look at your new room. Like we caused some excitement around it. And that worked for a lot of kids. And with Logan, like we got him to take down his crib and help build the new bed. We did all that. But for some kids, they're so protective over their things that that would not work for them at all. They would be like so upset if they came home and their room was completely changed and whatever. Some kids are very territorial about their things. So again, it all comes down to parenting style, right? Like what's going to work for in your child and their temperament? Think out some things, reach out. You can reach out to me and ask, you know, like this is my child's temperament. This is what our situation is. This is what I think would work. This is what I think wouldn't. There's always a solution. And I always say with sleep, And I had this conversation with a mom that called me the other day. She was so upset and she was like, I feel like we're too far gone. Like, and I said, sleep is always figure outable. There's always a reason. Like I've gone as far as getting parents to make referrals to an ENT because I think they need like their adenoids removed, like, or they need a CPAP machine. Like literally, like there's always a reason. And that's obviously the like last resort when we've done everything, we've checked all the boxes, but there's always a reason why little ones aren't sleeping. And I will figure it out. Okay. So what is your advice then or tips for transitioning a nine-month-old and a two-year-old to the same room in the next few months? So you have a nine-month-old and a two-year-old in the same room. So that's tricky because they might be on like two totally different schedules in terms of sleep. And so eventually it's going to work out that they're going to have the same bedtime and that you'll be able to put them down at the same time. But there may be a period where one is going to bed later than the other, which likely will be the toddler. And so what I would do is try to have two sound machines, one for the toddler, one for the baby. And I would try and put some, if there's a possibility to put up a partition between the two so that one isn't like, if the baby wakes up and like starts standing up and like yelling at the other sibling, I would try that. And just keep in mind that like, limit the noise. So you're obviously not going to be able to do one of the routines in the room if the other one is sleeping. So just kind of planning ahead for like how you want to set that up. But try not to be too worried about it. There's lots and lots and lots of families whose children share a space and it can totally work. It's just trying to figure out little things to kind of tweak. And, you know, the sound machines are definitely going to be a huge help because they will help drown out any noise that either sibling is making. And what do you do if baby won't calm when you go in while sleep training? So super common. If you think about it, it makes sense. So if a little one is used to being held or rocked or bottle fed or breastfed or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're completely changing up that routine and you're basically being like, we're not doing that now. When you go in to check on them, if you're doing the leave and check method, they think you're finally going in there to give them what they previously had, except for you're not doing that. So sometimes it can make them even more ticked off because it's like, oh my God, like, are you kidding me? So what I always say to families is still go in and support your baby and, you know, hum to them, sing to them, rub their back for a minute. I wouldn't get into a power struggle. So if they're standing up and you put them down and they stand up again, I wouldn't get into that. I would just give them their space, give them some comfort measures, let them know it's sleepy time, that you love them and leave again. But it happens. It should be like a short period of time that that occurs. But for the first couple of nights, yes, absolutely. You could see that. If it's longer than that, there's not enough consistency because... In my experience with every family I work with, I 
gave the tools to the parents and they have had their little ones like sleeping by night five. Like there should be improvement every single night. There should not be a regression in that. So if there is, there's something wrong there. Like the consistency isn't there or there's an issue with the wake windows or something. You should see steady progression, not like a flip-flop kind of thing. So what is that like crash course in sleep training for people out there wondering like you put your baby down awake, you leave the room, they start crying. Do you go in right away? We always did the 10 minute miracle. Like what's your advice for people who are just starting that? It depends on the families and their comfort level. So I have had families wait three minutes. I've had families wait 10. I have families be like, I'm not going in at all. It totally depends on their comfort level because what I said before is true. If you're not comfortable with the sleep plan, it's not going to work. So I have to make sure that my families are comfortable and confident. And so we talk about that. Let's be serious. What are you actually willing to wait? And they're looking at one another on the Zoom. And I'm like, I can tell. So tell me, like, what are you willing to do? And then we come up with a plan. Do you have an ideal time you suggest? Usually 10 minutes. But again, I'm very eerie and weary to give that advice because it really depends on every child. It depends on the family. So I don't want to tell someone over this podcast to wait a certain amount of time and their baby be ill or their leg stuck in the crib or I'm not comfortable giving that advice unless I'm working one-on-one with somebody. But generally speaking, even if you Google it, yes, 10 minutes is kind of like the time because little ones will typically settle themselves back within 10 minutes once they have gained the skills to sleep well. I mean, we've talked about this before too, but... People say like the crying out method or the this method or the that method. So you're not saying do or don't do those things. You're saying that's a based on each family and what they're comfortable with and doing. That's why the manual doesn't work for everybody. Like sleep training to me is not a one size fits all, but those manuals that are out there are one size fits all. So I think that's why people get defeated and say, well, you know, sleep training didn't work for me. And I get that because that plan or that method or that guideline that you got just wasn't suitable for your baby or your family. I think this is kind of a joke, but although I know it would be uh, very popular if it did exist, but a listener wrote in and said, do you have a sleep program for moms? Because how can we get more? But I do think maybe when your baby gets more, you get more, hopefully is the way that works. But in all seriousness, why don't you just, before we wrap up, tell everyone what your kind of packages or programs do look like? Is there various levels of how people can work with you? Where do they find this information? You want to share a little bit more about that? So typically all my work is one-on-one and essentially parents reach out for a free, we call it a discovery call. And that's just for them to give me a little bit of information about their little one and for me to share a little bit about what I do. But essentially in that, we talk about the different packages, which there's basic unlimited and then kind of like in-home support. I always say like basic is not the right wording because it's not basic. I just feel like I ran out of creativity. But unlimited speaks for itself. It's kind of like that unlimited support, like all day, every day, whatever you need, like there in the evening when you're implementing, excuse me, the sleep plan. I have my phone right beside me. Like Daniel knows, Logan is not to interrupt. I'm off duty. I'm working with my clients. Basic is basically... You get your sleep questionnaire that helps me know all I can about your baby. I create a sleep plan specific to your little one. We have a Zoom call and we go through it step by step. And then we work together for two weeks. So there's a sleep log that gets filled out and I'm kind of like the detective behind it all. So we're talking every day, talking about what's working well. What do we need to tweak? Does the wake window need to be longer? Does it need to be shorter? So it's kind of like I take the guesswork out of it all for families, which is really nice. So I always say like, you don't have to turn to your partner and be like, what do we do? You can just say, we'll talk to Jessica about it tomorrow and she'll help guide us with what to do next kind of thing. There's various packages. The prices change based on age. 
But like I said, I work with newborns, infants, toddlers, preschoolers, right through. And then I also do ask me anything calls. So if people are just kind of like looking for some advice, they can book that on my website too. So a little bit of everything. And you said the basic is two weeks is the unlimited two weeks too. Like what's the typical duration of you working with a client or a family? Typically two weeks. Yeah. We can look at more if needed. I'd have to actually look at my website to see if it's three weeks with a limited. I usually always tell families to get the basic because I truly feel like I give families enough support and tools that they can do it on their own. But there has been situations where if there's been a single parent that just truly needs another person with them during it, then I always say, you know what, go unlimited because then you'll have my hand to hold kind of thing through the process. What's your website? Where do people find out more information about these packages and how do they contact you? You can find me on Instagram at Jessica Levangie Sleep. And my website is www.jessicalevangiesleep.com. But I'm always a quick chat away. So feel free to message me if anyone has any questions. I love meeting new people and chatting about sleep. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Jess. I think this was helpful. It's so fun to hear you talk about it. Any parting words of wisdom for anyone out there who might be struggling with sleep or nervous about sleep or expecting and dreading the sleep thing? We always talk about that. Oh, wait till the baby comes. You'll be so tired. Or there's so much negativity around that. So any parting words of wisdom for anyone worried about sleep? Yeah, I think it's important to note that whatever your situation may be, it's worthy of support. And I think that a lot of times people might get caught up in like, I should know how to do this or I can't believe I need to hire somebody for this or my first baby did have this issue. Like I think a lot of people are hard on themselves, but just so you know, it's okay to need support and it's here for you if you need it. I think that's important to know. Yeah, I think so too. Lots of people have worked with you. Nothing but great feedback. I'm one of those people. When we had the twins, we worked with Jess. So she helped. So any parents of multiples out there or expecting parents of multiples, even if you've done it before, that extra support in that time is definitely appreciated. And you made that sleep plan for the twins, which we use kind of as our Bible through that time. Highly recommend. Some of our listeners do as well. Someone just wrote in and said... You are the reason my baby has always slept well. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, it must be so nice to hear that. Thanks, Jess. This was fun. Fun to put you in the hot seat and learn all about Jessica Levangi Sleep Consulting and a little bit more about sleep. Final question, age range. If someone's like, I have an eight-year-old who doesn't sleep, is that too late? Do they age out of sleep training? What does that look like? No. So there's never too late of an age for someone to sleep well. It's just that age wouldn't be in my scope, but I could definitely give tips and tricks just on the outside of like why I think based on like just behavior. And when I say behavior, I don't mean that someone's not listening. I just mean like behavior, like we're human beings kind of thing, right? But it's not within my scope, but absolutely can help you navigate resources for that. What age is in your scope? Up until five. All right. Thanks, Jess. This was great. Thank you. And our next epi, you're going to be on the hot seat. I can't wait. Sarah is an expert in communication and we're going to be asking her lots of questions coming up. So stay tuned for that. Thank you, Sarah, for encouraging me to do this. I'm really thankful of your support and I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. It's been so fun to watch you grow and you grow this business over the last few years. I think you've helped so many families and I think you've really come into your own in this role. And I think it just ties in so nicely into everything you do and what you value and where you're going in your career. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see where Jessica Levangie Sleep Consulting goes in the future. 
I mean, you've been talking a little bit about being in the Bachelor of Social Work. So I think it is important to note that you are still doing sleep. You're still taking on clients. You may have changed how many you take on, but you are doing it still. So you're still actively sleep consulting for anyone out there wondering. So don't sleep on it and wait and contact Jess. Good one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very exciting February coming up. Happy February. We made it through January. Thank goodness. It only lasted 500 years. We have an exciting February coming up. Jess is going on a big trip. We have a sold out event coming up at the end of the month. Thank you, everyone for being excited about that. We're super, super duper excited. Wine and Guide Live on February 24th, sold out in four to six chaotic minutes, three minutes. Yeah, it was wild. Jess and I found ourselves feeling like stressed and worried and sad for people who didn't get tickets instead of being like super excited in the moment. And then we reflected a few minutes later, like we should be really happy. And we are, we felt all the emotions. We're super excited. We can't wait. Our panelists are super excited. Can't wait to be in a room full of women who are so eager and who have such an appetite for these types of conversations. We'll be asking the panelists all of your questions. We'll be posting question boxes on Instagram. So stay tuned for that. And stay tuned. If you didn't get tickets for this event, we apologize, but we'll have another one and we'll have it sooner than later. We thought we went to a bigger venue and it was big enough, but we were wrong. But it's just so encouraging to know that so many women out there want to have these conversations. So we can't wait to see you all there on February 24th. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a good one. We can't wait. And we are happy as always to be partnering again with the Cape Breton Regional Hospital Foundation's Teal to Heal Fund. Those of you who have been with us for a while know that we put a team in the Teal to Heal event that raises funds for those experiencing gynecological and ovarian cancers in Cape Breton. And we're really excited to be partnering with the foundation again, with this fund to help strengthen healthcare, we're honored to be part of it, strengthen healthcare in Cape Breton. So a portion of proceeds raised at this year's event will help fund a specific piece of equipment needed in the emergency room. It's a mobile guide assessment cart. So this portable cart helps transform any ER stretcher or hospital bed into a complete gyno bed with lighting, stirrups, and all the necessary materials to significantly facilitate gynecological and other emergency examinations in any ER setting. Our ER needs it. So you have an opportunity to donate to this important initiative. You had the opportunity at ticket purchase, but then you'll have another opportunity at the event. We'll be collecting donations there. And then we'll also be posting an online donation. Some of you have wrote in and asked if you can donate, even if you're not attending, which is so thoughtful. And yes, you can. So we'll set up an online fundraiser so that you're able to donate to this special cause. We're partnering with Teal to Heal on this. We're excited to have Dina at the event. She's been doing incredible things through this fund for healthcare in Cape Breton, and we're happy to be a small part of it. And we're excited that it's for like a piece of equipment this year. It's like a tangible thing that we're kind of going to work really hard towards. It's a lofty goal. It's more money than we've ever raised in one shot before, but I think we can do it. So with the help of all of you, we can do it. So stay tuned for all of that information coming at you over the next few weeks on Instagram, Facebook, etc. All right, Jess, we did it. Good job, honey. We better go back and wrangle. Very proud of you. Let's go back to Snowmageddon. Yep. Sounds good. All right. We'll see you next time. Love ya. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you for joining us around the table on this episode of The Morning Meeting with Sarah and Jess. If you're enjoying your time around the table, if you like what you're hearing, tell us, tell a friend. 
wherever you listen to your podcast. You can like and subscribe. You can rate and review. We would appreciate it. It helps us. Help us help you. Make sure to subscribe so you never have to miss another morning meeting. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. Anchored Ideas is Cape Breton's leading marketing and communications agency. Known for their heart and hype, big dreams for Cape Breton Unimagi fuel their creativity. Here, there is no divide between business and community. Your neighbors and friends may very well also be your family. And when local businesses are doing well, we're all rising together. For these reasons and more, when the team at Anchored Ideas work with a client, it's personal. They're proud to be there for the big wins, the hurdles, and all the moments in between. They help you build your brand, define your difference, and connect you with those who matter. This signature heart and hype is the core of everything they do at Anchored Ideas. And we know firsthand that this team of powerhouse professionals are exactly who you need to speak to when trying to bring your vision to life.